Okay, it is April 21st, 2022. My younger brother would be 57 today had he lived. Um, on our prayer list, uh, John and Kathy are writing ours uh, for healing. John's back's in real bad shape. He sent me a video. It, it looked like he's having a lot of trouble. And for the John Green family on his passing, may they be comforted of the Lord. Uh, friends of the podcast and Bible study, John and Ruby, Griffith and Bassey, Linda, Vault, Gary, neighbor, our trusted friend, continued blessings, Marta and Charles, blessings for them. They're having a ladies' tea tomorrow. I just want to pray for a good time for them all and blessings for them all. Caitlin, uh, blessings whatever her needs will be. Our children and our grandchildren, Chuck Knipp, blessings. Jerry's sister, Judy. James, um, he's going to get his hand operated on tomorrow. We just pray, pray, Lord, you tend to him by your hands, even through the hands of the surgeons. For John, for Megan, Gigi, our grandchildren, Forrest and Donnie, Jerry Reeves, Ralph, Rick, Opie, Reverend Davis, and his wife, Jasmine, Mark Sanders, Bob's children, Stephanie and Mike, unsafe family members, the situation in Europe for that whole mess over there that seems to be shaping up like it could be the beginning of what we see and read about in Revelation. Pray for our country and our so-called leaders. For Ted, Eric, Reverend Davis and family, for Rex, unsafe family members, praying for America, persecuted Christians. I want to pray for our police officers, for their safety and protection. For Ray and Judy, and um, for our nation, salvation for those who are his to come in. Truth to come out about a lot of the stuff that we're being lied to about the virus, the vaccines, all this stuff. And bless the <laughs> bird. <laughs> I don't get that. You know the bird that got been here the other week? All that pooped on. I know that's Bill fixing church Sunday and he busted out. Okay. How's he doing? He doing not good. Now, which church is this now? First Where you had used to go. Okay. Linda Roy Hager, Carolyn Eames, uh, Drew Chatterton uh, for, for the situation with his uh, MS. Yeah. Okay, let's join hands. Lord God, we thank you for this time together. We just pray that you'd guide us through your word from page to page where you'd have us go by your Holy Spirit as you teach us. We honor you, God, and we praise you for all creation and putting us into it and giving us the chance to have eternal life through Christ, if only we did believe. I pray, God, that you would have been mindful to the concerns on this prayer list tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, I'm going to open up to Mark chapter 12. Chapter 12. And um, I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to go ahead and put this prayer list on our social media so that um, some people like to pray with us, which is very much a blessing. <clears throat> Mark 12. And I have this book and another King James Jerry. You just want to use this? Okay. I, I can. That's up to you. Um, what would you rather have? This is fine. Okay. Mark 12, verse 1 and on. 
And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine vat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant, that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away, shamefully handled. And again he sent another and him they killed. And many others beating some and killing some. Having yet, therefore, one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and is marvelous, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. <clears throat> he had sent many servants, the prophets, right, through the ages to tell the people what his expectations were and to <clears throat> um, counsel them and to chastise them against really idol worship and they never they never listened over and over they mistreated the prophets sorely mistreated them in many cases and ultimately Christ himself came and this is Christ here speaking have a good night I love you Ariel uh, he's speaking here saying you know now they sent his son speaking of himself and what are they going to do to him? Well, we know what they did to him. And Jesus knew what they would do to him. And um, yet, he willingly went through it. He knew it had to be. You know, the thieves on the cross, initially they both were casting aspersions toward Christ, saying, if you're who you say you are, get us out of here. Get yourself off the cross. Get us out of here. And you're no... You're no Messiah. You're no God. You can't get yourself down. And um, But Jesus didn't because he came with a specific purpose to die in our stead. And, um, you know, you wonder how does that really take us off the hook? Because God loved us, he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, for our sakes. I mean, and if you were, I've heard it explained in certain other ways, uh, you know, sometimes a, a, a wrongdoer will be on trial for something in court, and maybe the young man's father will say, just take me, just take me, uh, you're going to put him on the, work plantation for so many years just let me do that and let him go free and of course courts don't typically do that but in the case of Christ doing it for us it was acceptable to God the propitiation for our sins as it is said in other places um, I think when you're explaining the gospel to someone you really have to have a grip on that and make it make sense because one of the questions I had over and over again, and a few times I would get proselytized as an unbeliever, I would say, well, what's that? how's that fixing anything? 
You know, that's like somebody's a murderer, and then you throw somebody else in the electric chair in their stead. That doesn't fix anything. That guy's still a murderer. He's still out there with the potential to do it again. And, you know, I never got a straight answer. And that's kind of understandable. But the gravity of the love that God and Jesus Christ has for us. God the Father is like, I'm giving you these, these who will receive you, those who will listen to you, those who the Holy Spirit says should have eyes to see and ears to hear. I'm giving you these. And since they are going to be in you, you dying in their stead will save them from eternal punishment for their sins. So the weight of what was done there can't be overstated. But people do ask simple questions. And if they don't come straight out and ask them, they're wondering about it. And I think there's a lot of people in the church today wondering stuff like, yeah, how'd that work? How does somebody else die instead of me get me off the hook? Well, what's what, what if this judge in this hypothetical courtroom setting was willing to accept the sacrifice of another person, either their freedom forever or even their life, if he was willing to accept that for the punishment of the one who's on trial, then the judge gets to make that de determination, right? So God was willing to accept the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifices. For everyone. Now, that was the propitiation of sin, not just for those that are saved. Here's a, here's a problem verse for the Calvinists. And I really hate hearing how they try to just wordsmith the Bible to go along with their um, corrupt doctrine. I'm not saying they're not saved. Um... But I am saying there's a big problem with a lot of what they believe. Just a little. First John, you don't need to turn here because I may turn back to Mark. I'm not sure yet. First uh, John chapter 2, I'm going to read a couple of verses. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you did sin, you're covered. Verse 2. And he is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So when the Apostle John is saying for our sins and not for ours only, he's talking about those who are in Christ, or those who will be Christians, but the Lord's sacrifice covered the sins of the whole world. So basically every jail cell door was opened by his act of dying on the cross and rising again. Every jail cell door was open. But some will sit there and not want to move. There is a big problem with pride and stubbornness in much of humanity. Why do people turn against God and turn toward false gods or other things? I can speak for myself, maybe not such a wonderful childhood, so I, uh, you, you start considering God, and every person knows that there's God. Valentina, for all she went through in Russia, and then here in two different bad adoption situations. She said, I always knew there was God. And she said, I don't remember ever being angry with him or questioning him, you know. And I said, well, we can do it subconsciously, but I can't be you know, your judge. I think it's perfectly reasonable for many people to say, well, you know, if God cared anything about me, 
this wouldn't be happening in my life. I wouldn't be wrapped around this axle. I wouldn't have all of these problems. Because here I am, you know, just a little child, four or five years old, and my life's in shambles and I can't do anything about it. But God can do something about it, so he's not doing anything about it, therefore he doesn't care about me. Therefore, as I age to middle teenager and early 20s, well, I'll show you, God, if you don't care about me, then I don't care about you either. And you get into the occult. I did. I got into the occult. Professing to be an atheist, yet believing and finding evidence that there are evil spirits out there that will manipulate a deck of tarot cards to the point that people start recommending you to read their cards. I did this. One of the last times I ever did it, I didn't realize it, but I was in the, in the company of um, a, a couple and a third person. There were several of us at the beach, and she wanted this girl wanted hers red, so I was doing it. And you know, I I, I said this light-haired fellow is who you are with, and who you care about. And then the next card was that this man here is someone who has come into this situation, maybe you know, known or, or not known. Now, the two men that would have been in question here were not present during this. And I got that far, and she just slung all them cards off the table and said, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this. Well, come to find out later, yep, she was messing around on the guy she came with with one of the other guys that was in the group. So these demons that can manipulate a deck of cards, a Ouija board, anything. Uh, they're real. And I realized that. And I realized at some point, boy, isn't it stupid to believe that I'm an atheist, but I believe in evil supernatural. Or I may have not called it evil at that point. I may have just said, well, I believe that there's something to do with this tarot card business. And later, as I learned more about what God's Word says, I knew what was going on back then. Demons will come right there and say, okay, you feel that card is two below it. Get that second one below it. Pull it out and put it here in the deck as you shuffle because you, I would sit there and I'd move them, I'd cut them this way and that way, and so, okay, no, not ready yet. This one needs to come out and be put at the bottom of the deck. It doesn't belong in this sequence you're getting ready to lay out. That. And you're just listening to them and doing what they say, and he's, oh, I'm a witch. I'm a wicca, some of these people are saying. They're just mad at God. For one reason or another, the common denominator is they're angry with God. The things didn't suit them just right. But what we see in the word here is their sins are paid for too. And they can go all the way to the grave and not repent and die and go to hell out of stubbornness. And that's all that gets you there. As I've said many times, you don't slip on a banana peel and fall into hell because you didn't get the memo. Everybody knows. Every person knows that God is who he says he is. And every Wicca, every witch, every Satan worshiper out there knows deep within the soul that's in them that they are going to be held accountable by the God of all creation. You do something kind for somebody, they turn around and reward you with Anger, hatred, rebuke. That is quite a slap in the face. And this is what people do to God. Their debt had been paid for. 
So you get to hell by getting all the way to that very last step, looking over the precipice and looking one last time into the eyes of the Lord and saying, I reject you. I will not have you over me. I will not have this man over me. Do you see that in the Gospels? You do. I'm not going to have this man serving over me. Well, have it your way then. Because they're going to find out that Satan's not in hell. He never makes it there if you read the scriptures. He goes from roaming around in the earth like a lion, seeking who he can devour, going up and down in it. We see it in the first chapter of Job. He goes from there to the pit, confined, locked up with a seal upon it for a thousand years while the millennial reign unfolds. And at the end of that thousand years, at the great white throne judgment, we see the people that had remained alive and lived into the millennium, and many will have been born during that time. So you're making how bad hell is really going to be with all the liberals there? I think that politics will be the last thing on anyone's mind when they get there. That We get a glimpse of it, but not the full force of it. In Luke um, 16, Abraham's bosom, this rich man, he loved money more than God. And, you know, there's a place where such a one is tested um, in Mark here somewhere. Um, the rich man tested. I'll look at that in a moment. But he was suffering. Ask Abraham to dip his finger in water and come over here and cool my tongue. I'm in torment. No, uh, Satan is not in charge in hell. King David said, I think it's in Psalm 139, if I make my bed in hell, there you are. God is in charge in hell. He is in charge of this. So if these people want to laugh and say, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven, you're not going to reign in hell. And Satan's not going to be your boss man down there. Roger Daltrey said in that Who song, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. God. Uh, flip back a couple pages in Mark to Mark chapter 10, the rich man tested. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Now Jesus wasn't saying he wasn't good, but he was saying, You don't even think I'm God, so why are you calling me good? Hey, how'd everything go? Fine. Yep. Feeling good. Or worn out. Worn out. Yeah. Up and behind all that. Working out. Yeah. Bicycle riding. Yeah. Your Bible's here if you want it. Sure. Just pass that there. So, uh, Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's none good but one, and that's God. And thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God 
And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter saith, I'm sorry, Peter began him, saith unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. He said there, you know, you give these things up, he's going to give it back to you. You're going to get a hundredfold back in this time, in this life. Houses, brethren, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. It's hard to let go of what we have and fully trust God. You can believe in one thing, but then how do you act? Um, we've probably talked about it before. I'll mention it again. I, I guess this is a true story. It's a good uh, illustration at the very least, but this fellow was up at some branch of Niagara, Niagara Falls and a cable stretched across from one side to another point and he was running the wheelbarrow back and forth I guess they'd taken the tire off of it and the wheel just kind of sat down over the cable and he was just walking across that cable and then they put weight in it like a 50 pound bag or something and he'd run that back to the other side and then they'd add 50 more pounds and people just kept watching so he's got like 300 pounds of weight in that wheelbarrow and hadn't slipped a foot and he said, who believes that I can uh, carry 350 pounds? And everybody put their hand up. And he said, who's willing to get into this wheelbarrow and let me take you across? And not a soul was. They believed, but they didn't have faith. And we can be this way with the Lord. We can say, oh, God can do it. Yes, he can do it. But I can't get him to do it. That's what Ray says, and I'm with him. It's like, I he know we do can anything. do it, it's just getting them to do it. <laughs> well, flip to Mark chapter 11. Verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, and if you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. You ever meet folks that are just holding horrible grudges from people in their past? Hate them. The hatred is tangible. According to this scripture, you shouldn't really be asking God for anything. Because you have not forgiven, and you are laden with hate, holding a grudge. Uh, Chuck Swindoll pointed out one time, is like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies from it. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, does it? 
So you have to let these things go. And, um, and if you do, if you do it in all sincerity, God will reward you. He'll reward you with the answers to your prayers and what you believe will be given to you. Verse 24 again, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So, um, Leonard. Oh, is he here? I saw his car. Oh, okay. Maybe not. Coffee? Yeah, we haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. Reverend Davis. It might not have been him, it just looked like his car. You might be right, though. It would be about the time he'd drop in. Yeah, you know, going back to what you said about raining in hell, I'd rather rain in yeah, hell than... Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's pretty interesting. It says right here, And they shall go forth and look into the carcass of the men that transgressed against me. And the worm shall not die, neither shall the fire be quenched, and they shall be abhorred upon all flesh. And then over here in 14... Uh, Isaiah 14, uh, Did you, you just read from the end of Isaiah there on that first passage, right? Yeah, the first passage. See, it says, uh, all, they all they shall speak against thee. Thou art also become as weak as they. And talking about Satan. Um, art thou uh, become just like us? Thy pomp has brought thee down to the grave in the noise of thy vials. Uh, the worm is... The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Thou art fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the morning. Thou art cut down to the ground, and thou dost weaken the nations. Right. So he's going to be the same. He's going to be in a pile of worms like all those people that, oh, yeah. that hated yeah, he, God. He misled and led astray. And, uh, absolutely. Was that him? Yeah. Good. Yes. Um, but people... Don't have to continue following after Satan. Hey, hey how you doing? How are you? Tired. How's everything? Good to see you. Your wife good? She's doing good. I've been away in funerals. You know, I am in West Virginia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Last mm -hmm. week, the guy was cutting the grass, hadn't finished. Really? Yes, yeah, so, but I'm here, thank you, Lord. Yeah, we hired ours done, but it ain't got done yet. <laughs> I thought you could come get my line one time. Uh, oh, we Scott. appreciate that. Yeah, just a couple times a month. We would jinx it. I mean, all we'd have to do is touch it, and, and it would fall apart. Because that's yeah. how we are with mowers. That's probably why it started when you walked in there. It's like, it, if he starts working on me, on me. If, he's, if I don't start, he's going to start working on me. <laughs> anyway. But, you know, our power to believe... We underestimate it. You know, this passage at the end of Mark 11 here, um, it says what it says. If you believe when you pray, believe that you already have received it, and you'll have it. So failed prayers are due to unbelief, whether we want to admit it or not. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him on certain excursions. Uh, they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, but that none of the others did. Uh, when he would raise someone from the dead, they were the ones. Because, and I'm convinced of this, they knew, Jesus knew that these disciples, Peter, James, and John, did have the faith. They would not doubt and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If you've got one in the group that is not in one accord and they're bringing in doubt and they're counteracting, it's like you're on a tug-of-war contest and you got somebody on your side that instead of pulling back every time the count goes, they're pulling forward. They're pulling against you. So they're... You're not only one man short, you're two men short. You see how that works? So, having perfect faith isn't easy, though. And we give God lots of loopholes, and we give Him clauses, and we give Him all kinds of ways out of answering our prayers, and we do that because we fear that He won't 
answer our prayer. Maybe it's that if you're able to believe that you've already received it, then you're expressing a perfect faith with no room for doubt. Go to James chapter 1. Chapter 1 of verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If you need wisdom, ask God for wisdom. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. But we do get that way sometimes. We do get double-minded. Now something I've noticed over the years of praying and doing my best to believe is if the thing that you're praying involves the free will of another human being, it surely seems that God almost never intervenes with that person's free will. You want to see someone saved, and I think it's good to pray for people that are not saved, because at the very least, God will keep sending ministering angels and evangelists and people to share the gospel and witness. He'll keep sending them. So they'll be, in the end, if they don't turn to Christ, they won't be, they'll have no excuse. They'll be without excuse. But uh, I think sometimes people get very disappointed when they ask and ask and ask, you know, and the person never changes. And that's not a failure on God's part, and it's not a, an unwillingness on God's part to see this positive change come. It's just that he's not going to make that person choose. That's Calvinism in a nutshell, isn't it? You have free will. Many come early, these vineyard workers, and many don't come until toward the very end. Um, where is that? In uh, Matthew, maybe mm, 22, maybe, I'm not sure. I'm going to find it somewhere. Matthew, I know it's in Matthew, parable of the vineyard workers. 20. Matthew chapter 20. Thank you, Bob. I will start at the beginning, and it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand you here all day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired, about the eleventh hour they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. 
And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Dost thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that is thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called but few chosen. And I had a fellow one time tell me, he's a Christian, he said, I really, that bothers me. You know, that, that, that part right there, I just don't know if I like that. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you're out here living for the Lord for nearly all your life. You're doing good the best you can. You go to church, you, you pray, you help people. and You do it all your life. And then this other character comes in at the very last hour and he gets the same reward. And I said, well, what was he doing up to that point? I said, well, he was out there just living like he wanted to. He was out there living in the world and I said, probably doing a lot of drinking and carousing and wine, women, and song. Yeah, he said, that's it. So that's what you're saying you'd rather be doing. Is that right? Is that what I hear? You'd rather be Doing all this? Well, no, no, that's not what I want to be doing. Well, so, well, if you're envious of this guy, it sounds like you'd rather been him than yourself. You'd rather been the one out there lost in the world, carrying on, cutting up and doing whatever, and then just get your get-out-of-hell-free card at the last hour. What does that say? The misnomer is... It's not works. It's grace here. That's it's it. the grace of salvation. It's not the. It's not receiving a reward for what you did. Right. That's a different reward. That would be. Salvation itself is offered even to that thief on the cross who was near death when he called out. And um, besides that, aren't you supposed to love mercy? You should that, <laughs> and you should you know like Adrian Rogers said one time in a sermon. He said, I love the Lord, I love who He is, and if there were no heaven, even, he said, there is a heaven, but if there weren't, if you just died and pulled the dirt up over your face and went to sleep forever, and that was it, even if that were the case, I would still serve God. I would still love God and serve God as long as I was above ground. And that's the kind of heart that the Lord, I believe, is looking for. You know, we're not trying to gain some reward. We're just trying to be, if we're doing this right, let me put it that way. We're just trying to be thankful and helpful and and, and express gratitude. You know, he says to lend without expecting it to come back to you in return. Okay, suppose if Christ died for your sins and... But he wasn't resurrected. Uh, the resurrection is your promise of eternal life in heaven. Yes. Suppose he wasn't resurrected, then you wouldn't necessarily go to hell, but you just would be in uh, the twilight zone. Cease to exist. Yeah. And that's just what atheists prefer to believe and hope, is that they'll cease to exist. But I know in the depth of their own souls, they know that's not true. I like to tell people that seem to be atheists, I like to point out to them, like, your brain is not your mind. Your mind uses your brain like you might use a phone or a computer. Your mind uses the brain... It's organic. Yes, to make the body work in this realm of existence. Yes, it's organic. It will die. All your flesh will die, but your mind isn't made of flesh. And it can therefore never die. That means it will be somewhere for eternity. Now, God is not bringing those who have rejected him and rebuked him and hated him. He's not bringing those into the company 
of those who have chosen to love him and to be in fellowship with him and accept his amazing gift of salvation in Christ. So these that won't be in heaven, God's done nothing wrong. They're going to be apart from God. Now, it's expressed in here as as fire, brimstone, the worm doesn't die, the everything That's in Isaiah sixty six. Just yeah. continues to decompose and um I would venture to say it's probably literally even worse than that. It's just that we can't fathom it. We can't explain it. When when Paul says of heaven, eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard then wouldn't it be fair to say that any description of hell is going to fall short of the reality of it? Absolutely. And the knowledge that you chose to spit in the face of the one who loved you enough to pay your debt, to open that jail cell and let you walk out of there, but you chose to be somewhere else. You had so much pride that you would not forgive and that you would not make any real effort to become what he has asked us to become. I don't want to be that person. I know I fall short all the time. I mean, I spend many days, one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. But I remind myself that my struggles and my sins can get me chastened so that I won't be condemned before. If you don't confess them, yeah, you'll be chastened. 1 Corinthians 11. And he's just finished talking about the communion like we did this past week. And he uh, said if they take communion in an unworthy way, they're, they're eating and drinking judgment onto themselves. Now, you know, I'm obviously not a Catholic, yet I still hated to see these militant homosexual activists mocking communion by showing up to take communion all fixed up to look like women and sashaying around in the communion line and then, you know, got makeup all over their faces. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 11, John. Um, And then just coming up there and getting down on their knees and just real, real prissy looking, sticking their tongue out, you know. Okay. That is absolutely making light of the body and the blood of Christ. I know that the Catholics have a lot wrong. That is not literally becoming Jesus' body. How can we know that? We brought this up last week. Because Jesus at the Last Supper said, Take and eat, this is my body broken for you. He passed the cup, said, Take and drink, this is my blood sacrificed for you. He hadn't died yet on the cross. They were not eating his body. They were not drinking his blood. Symbolic. But as misguided as Catholicism is in most places, or at least many places, I don't care who you are, you don't make fun of that communion. But they did. So they ate and they drank judgment onto themselves. And Paul says in, uh, well, we'll pick it up in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 11. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. There's no other way to take this verse than, you know, some of you guys aren't so well off. And... In many of your cases, it's because you took communion in an unworthy manner. He says, many of you sleep. Some of you have passed on. You're still a Christian, but 
you ate and drank judgment onto yourself. And so God let you slip from this existence, and now you sleep. This is what this says. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So if this young man that went into this Catholic assembly, and I just saw a video of it, it's been a few years ago. Well, he went in there with some others that were with him, wanting to mock the church, mock the communion. However, if later he had become convicted about what he had done and asked the Lord to forgive him, God would forgive him. God wants to forgive everyone. Ready, willing, and able to forgive everyone. You do have to ask. So, yes. I'm going back to when I first come in here and said, when we pray for people and we don't see the change, what happens? Are we wasting our time? I don't think we are wasting our time. Okay. When we go through life, someone is at the center, have they hear the word, but they didn't believe the word. They didn't act on the word. And they know they had their own free will to, to do right or do wrong. Sometime in life, you get to a point where death is around you, and you are about to do something you shouldn't do. The prayers of the faithful, the one that's been praying for you, that prayer that went up is not unanswered. It may not happen when you want it, right. but there's a lot of times we come to the point of death and don't realize it, but because someone has been praying for us, God is looking down and that prayer intervenes. Yeah. Keeps you from dying. It might not change you, but it keeps you from dying because you thought enough of that person to pray for that person and ask God to help them. Now, I look at Putin over there. All these people that's dying. Don't he know he have to give an account for that? Yeah. What's that now? Uh, Vladimir Putin killing all them people. All those people. Uh, He's got to give an account. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he will. And we still pray that God somehow touch his heart and let him see himself. Yes. <clears throat> And it seems like it looked like it's, it doesn't seem like it's not going to happen, but he's got to give an account. Oh, that's a fact. Yes. I don't believe Putin's killing all those people. I think the Ukraine Nazi bunch is the ones that's doing most of the killing over there. Well, I don't want to get into the. No, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, what I don't doing. know. But the devil is busy over there, yeah. and he used whoever he can and whoever he can blame to do his, his work for him. But yes. in, in all, God is still in control. So what I was trying to figure out, if all those people are being killed, they're still under God's protection. Yes. Their heart, their soul, their mind. And they, they don't have any more choices because they're gone. Yeah. Well, I think a soldier falling dead on the battlefield... If he turns his eyes to heaven, knowing this is it for me, Lord, have mercy on me, and he will. Yes. Because that's all it took. The thief on the cross say, Lord, remember me. Remember me. You know, that's all he said, and Jesus did. And about praying for others, uh, I'm going to read from, you don't have to turn there unless you just want to. 1 Samuel 12, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12 Verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. This is Samuel, who's a priest. And we are a high priesthood. That verse tells me that if I don't pray for others, I'm sinning against God. 
So you pray. And, and you don't say, okay, Lord, you've given this one over to a reprobate mind. I'm just going to quit praying. Now, who's to know that? Who would have stopped praying for me as I went through my 20s into my early 30s if they had said to themselves, well, he's just a reprobate. You're wasting your breath praying for him. I think if you're praying, you're never wasting your breath. And we just ask. We ask the Lord to intervene in the lives of others. Even if you have a loved one that was not going to ever come to Christ, yet your heart would be broken if you lost them, then ask God to keep them alive for your sake. Then we just read the other week, Laban said to Jacob, boy, I've been doing pretty good since you've been around here. I've been having it good. I don't want you to leave. And some people do benefit in life from the prayers of the saints. So, when we are feeling called of the Holy Spirit to pray for others, pray. Don't sin against God by not praying. If some thought comes into your head and says, I don't know if that was from you, Lord, if that was just a crazy idea I had, just in case, pray. <laughs> Even if it was your fault or your thought, God will honor that. What are we doing when we pray? You ever think about that? What are we really even doing? How does this work? Well, it doesn't happen in this dimension. It is a multi-dimensional or super-dimensional act where your soul and spirit and you have to have a spirit made alive in Christ to come before God the Father in prayer. You know, your body could be anywhere. Jesus said find you a place, go to a prayer closet, you know, find a place which private. Don't get out there in front of everybody trying to make a show. And when you go there, that will become a familiar place to you to help you prepare spiritually to leave your body, not not talking teleportation, I'm saying just mentally leave your body behind and approach the throne of God in your spirit and soul. And He will hear you. He will receive you. You are coming in the name of Jesus. He'll receive you. He That's will how you pray in the Spirit. Yes. You pray in the Spirit. It's like the story that Perry Stone tells about the woman down in Georgia always sat and prayed all the time. Yes. And he was down there for some reason or what. And he was... Perry was wanting to start to do some, some part of his ministry and he didn't know whether to do it or not. But he ended up at this lady's house and she passed away. And when he went in, he sat in that chair, and he knew that as soon as he sat in that chair, he could feel the Holy Spirit just all over him. Didn't know until it was all over that that's the chair that the woman had sat in all these years and prayed. Yes. Interesting, yes. Well, God honors prayer. Um, he gives us an example. Here is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in other words, the first utterances, whether you're speaking this prayer out loud or whether you are praying in your heart like Hannah did in uh, 1 Samuel 2, and she was just moving her lips, but no words were coming out. Um, but it was a powerful prayer because it's written there what she prayed. Um, however you pray, you come praising God first. Oh, my Father who are in heaven. Acknowledge where he's at. Know where he is. He, he's, you know, he is everywhere. He's omnipresent in the universe. But the place called heaven is a higher place. And it's a place where he has gone to prepare a place for us. 
So you acknowledge that he's in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Um, your name is above all names. It, you are high and lifted up. You are the ultimate God. You're not one God out of tens of trillions as the uh, Mormons would have it. He is the God. The Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last. Realize who you're going to talk to. Have some solemnity in your heart, in your mind, as you prepare to pray. That's what he said to do. And he said, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it will. It's coming. This millennial kingdom, Christ on the throne in Jerusalem, King David is a prince, not a king anymore, because the king of kings is there. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So this is what we want the most. We've probably got some other things that we want to talk about, like prayer for a sick loved one, or prayer to, to maybe get a different job, or it could be anything. Like, Lord, my car's making a funny noise. I don't have enough money to halfway put gas in it, let alone get it fixed. Would you do something for me about that? You can add those things after you have... Acknowledge where he is, acknowledge who he is, and acknowledge that the thing you want more than anything else is for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Because broken down cars and broken down bodies will not be there. Give us this day our daily bread, he said. Today. Don't ask for it for a month and I'll see you in 30 days, God. This day, each day. Yeah, Christ is the true bread. You're asking for him instead of grocery food, aren't you? What now? The bread, yes. Absolutely. He said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. <clears throat> but he also told his disciples, I know what you need. I know you got to have clothes. I know you got to have something to eat. I know you got to have a place to live. I'm going to take care of that. Look at these birds. Do they worry about what they're going to eat? Never. It's just provided. Look at these lilies in the field. Look at these flowers. Jerry called them the lilies earlier. Uh, they're beautiful. And But he said even Solomon in all of his raiment could not match the beauty of the flowers. So these are the things that God's doing and he's going to continue to do he said, I know you have a place to, you need a place to stay, you know. God doesn't want you homeless, although Christ himself was. Remember, he said, you know, I don't even have a place to lay my head. But uh, once you get through the first parts of that prayer model, and you are supernaturally communicating with the one who made you, Somebody said, oh, I just wish I had a special phone like Batman, that red one, and you pick it up and you can talk to the commissioner. You got better than that. You don't need a phone, and you're talking to somebody a whole lot higher than the commissioner of Gotham City, I promise you that. You do have this amenity. Well, God never says anything. A lot of times you're just not listening. You're not staying quiet in your heart. Wait to hear from him. Sometimes you might even hear an audible, still, small voice. I've only had that happen once, but I've heard people that I trust say they heard his voice. And at other times, he just tells you and you just know. Brief moments where you just, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And you know that he's told you. You have this thing. This thing of concern for you, he doesn't want you crushed in your spirit. He wants to see you happy. I like to ask him for encouragement. And remember that because I've never to this date ever asked him for encouragement that he didn't give it to me right away. Every single time. Encourage me. Or David had to go encourage himself in the Lord. 
And when God puts some handles on this little horrible situation that you think you have, what am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? Oh, I'm sick. I think I'm going to die this time. What do you think, God? Um, once you get some perspective, you feel a whole lot better. You feel a lot better to the point, well, okay, I don't have a home. Thank you, Lord, that it's not going to be that cold tonight. I'm going to lay down over here in the, in the woods and, um, and tomorrow's a new day. And I'll see, Lord, what you have for me tomorrow. Because I know you love me and I know you're not going to forsake me or leave me. And I know that you slept in places similar and worse than me laying in the woods. Osman slept in trees to keep away from the predators that would eat you. I mean, there's just, you know, we, we, we are spoiled in this country. To the point that people who live in other countries, they just shake their head and can't believe this. And somebody says, oh, this is, uh, you know, you're complaining about your seven-year-old vehicle and you need to trade it and get a new one. But you have a vehicle. And for all you know, your old one will last longer than this new thing you're talking about getting. Uh, <laughs> you know, you don't know. God will bless you. But when you pray, that's what you're doing. You're talking to the one who made you. You're doing it on a supernatural and spiritual level. But when you pray, always listen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're just over an hour in. If anybody wants to add to what we've discussed tonight, that would be great. But uh, otherwise, we'll finish up. Good? Reverend Davis. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, one day at a time. We yes. give you the honor and the glory to allow us to come together to lift your holy name up yes. to study your word and Father we thank you for the wisdom and the knowledge but above all we thank you for the understanding we ask that thou bless each and every one that's here bless our families bless those in your cane and in our other countries Lord yes. that need your help need your mercy and your goodness Lord we know that all power in heaven and earth is in your hands. Yes, it is. And we ask, Father, not our will, mm -hmm. but that will be done. This we ask in Jesus', Jesus name. name. Amen. 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 Um, all right. <clears throat>